This is Archive Atlanta, episode 142, Fort McPherson. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lamos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week we're talking about Fort McPherson, and it kind of feels like it's a neighborhood episode, but this neighborhood is definitely different from all the rest. And not just because it's encircled by a tall fence or owned by Tyler Perry. From its earliest days as the pasture of Charner Humphreys, to local militia training ground, to a racetrack, to both Confederate and U.S. Army bases, to prisoner of war camps, these two pieces of land have so much history to tell. If you're not familiar with the area, Fort McPherson is in southwest Atlanta, uh, Sylvan Hills is to the east, and Venetian Hills is to the north. The important part of the story, and the part that most people don't realize, is that Fort McPherson's history spans two different pieces of land. So the first was kind of north of the West End. Today, it's where Spelman is or the Atlanta University Center. And then the piece of land you know today is what I described earlier. So I will, of course, explain what the switch happens, but just wanted you to note this because I think this is one of the biggest things that is not mentioned. Before we talk about its military connection, we have to go all the way back before Atlanta to Whitehall. If you listen to the West End episode, you know that this was the name of the early town, a long-standing trade route stop where Charner Humphreys built one of the first inns in the area. Just to the north of the Whitehall Inn, Humphreys owned land that he used as a pasture. I covered this in the African American Militia episode, but real quick refresher. While the U.S. Army was created in 1775, there was a need to have local militias in each state that the president could call upon when needed. And the Georgia militia existed from 1733 until 1879. In December of 1835, the Georgia legislator declared that Humphreys Pasture would be the meeting and drill ground for the 101st Battalion. And they would have muster day there, which was a annual gathering of the local militia so they could practice and roll new men. Um, I don't know, learn how to shoot the weapons. Uh, it was kind of like a training day once a year. Over the years, Humphreys built a racetrack, which was said to draw settlers from miles around, and it operated until 1848. Just before the start of the Civil War, the area saw increased activity as the state militia was mobilized and the grounds were used as a formal training center. When the Confederacy was officially formed, the new government took control of the land, erected barracks, and built a cartridge factory. To protect it from the Union Army, the base was surrounded by miles of breastworks, which are fortifications made of dirt, logs, stones, etc. And they're built to be about chest high, hence the name. In the last year of the war, the Battle of Atlanta happened, and Confederate forces destroyed the cartridge factory and the barracks so that the Union forces could not use them. After the end of the Civil War in 1865, the country entered into Reconstruction, another topic with its own episode, which was, I think, 55. But it was a federal occupation of the South to ensure that the newly enacted Reconstruction Amendments would be carried out. The Post of Atlanta, as it was called, was composed of 37 Georgia counties, and its headquarters was here in Atlanta. In 1867, the state was organized into eight military districts. And it was that year when a 10-company post was established at this former Confederate base, and it was named McPherson Barracks after Union Major General James Birdseye McPherson, who was killed near the site during the Battle of Atlanta in 1864. 
On these 53 acres of land, the United States Army built 10 troop barracks, 18 officer quarters, 5 kitchens, 10 laundress quarters, a commissary, a quartermaster building, a guardhouse, a bakery, a library, stables, and a 48-bed hospital. All of these were made from pine lumber, and they were arranged in a quadrangle around a central parade ground. There were also 22 wells on the property, with water described as being very desirable as it was coming from natural springs in the area. It's interesting to read stories about the McPherson barracks from the viewpoint of the newspaper because you can get an idea of how the civilian public coexisted with this military base, and they were mostly just really intrigued. So lots of streetcar rides out there to see the troops march, hear the brass band, um, see the soldiers would then actually march through Atlanta. And then there was really a lot of tragic stories, a lot of suicides, a lot of tales of deserters, and just a lot of sad stuff coming out of the base. As we all know, Reconstruction was short-lived and mostly unsuccessful. When it ended in 1877, the U.S. Army would move almost all of its troops out. By October of 1881, the lease on the barracks was surrendered by the Secretary of War, and McPherson Barracks was abandoned. The buildings were sold at public auction, and some were purchased by the American Baptist Home Mission Society, which went on to open the Atlanta Baptist Female Seminary, today Spelman College. The college opened in the former post-hospital building. The U.S. Army was utilizing summer camps often, and then Atlanta was really a favorite, mostly because of its climate, which led to fewer diseases and fewer health issues. So taking note of this popularity, around 1884, Congress appropriated funds to establish a permanent military post here. Major General Winfield Scott Hancock, commanding general of the Division of the Atlantic, was tasked with finding the perfect spot, and he spent the entire month of May in Atlanta searching. And he picks a spot two and a half miles south of the abandoned McPherson Barracks, so this is where we switch locations, from the area, again, just above the West End, where Spelman College is, to the area we're talking about today. And the 140-ish acres were purchased for $15,000 on August 11th, 1885. In November, Captain Joshua West Jacobs arrived in Atlanta tasked with designing and developing the new post. And he has the land cleared with mule-drawn grading equipment, and it would take almost two years to form an artificial plateau. And on the parallel ridge lines, there was rows of officers' quarters, and then the center space was about a 1,500-foot-long parade field. I think it was 500 feet wide. That still exists in the northeast corner of Fort McPherson today. So you can see it if you do like a Google aerial, you can see it. His plans also called for a hospital, a morgue, a chapel, schoolhouses, um, commissioned officer housing. They also dug two artisan wells, both 250 feet deep, and they had a steam-powered pump house and a sanitary sewer system, which is a lot more than most of Atlanta could say at that time. Just a year later, they had purchased 96 additional acres. The first troops stationed at Fort McPherson were in 1889, before the barracks were even ready for habitation. Where did they sleep, you ask? Well, in pitched tents, somewhere between, quote, Oakland City and McCall's Crossing, end quote. The streetcar quickly came to the area, and after that, 22 additional buildings were built, consisting of more officers' quarters, barracks, warehouses, and stables. In 1895, Fort McPherson was designated a place of confinement for quote-unquote general prisoners 
by the War Department, and that came in handy when the Spanish-American War began in 1898. The 5th Infantry was stationed there, and the barracks were so crowded and overflowing, and they were dealing with lots of health issues like a typhoid epidemic. On top of that, most of these soldiers were considered green, as in they had no formal training. They just joined the army without any understanding of how it all worked. By May of 1898, the first Spanish-American War prisoners arrived. The 16 Spaniards were guarded by an African-American soldier, they were fed regular rations, and they were kept sequestered away from almost everyone. And when I say everyone, I mean all of Atlanta, who rode their horse and buggies up and down the Chert Road in front of the base, hoping to get a glimpse of the quote-unquote Spanish spies. Let me just say, as a Spaniard, there's like zero Spanish history in Atlanta, and so it just cracked me up that the first time I come across it, it's like Spanish prisoners of war at Fort McPherson. No one on base could speak Spanish, but the prisoners did learn one English word, which was coffee. There was later talk of establishing a large military prison that could hold up to 10,000 prisoners, but I think this was based on kind of predicted wins in the war that didn't happen because the Spanish-American War ended via treaty that December. Peacetime would only last about a decade and a half, and then World War I began in 1914. Now, it was not until April 1917 that the U.S. would enter the conflict, and then Fort McPherson once again took center stage. The U.S. Surgeon General realized that we needed a place to care for the sick and wounded soldiers, and so he re received permission from the Secretary of War to use an old military post as hospitals, and McPherson was dubbed General Hospital No. 6. The building was quickly converted, and inside they were performing really high-caliber surgical reconstructions for those returning injured in Europe. Roads were built, heating plant was installed, the Red Cross had a satellite center that they opened on base. Uh, the Knights of Columbus had some structure as well. The American Library Association created a reading room on site for any soldiers. And there was also a new army school of nursing. Immediately after the U.S. declared war on Germany, prison barracks were organized west of the base between Hamilton and Utoy. And so retired army officers were in charge of those prisoners of wars. Um, there was about 419 of them in 1917. That number went up to almost 1,500 the following year. And then it was about 1,300 in 1919. During World War I, Fort McPherson would expand again, purchasing 136 acres from John Egan for about $89,000. So this section was called Camp Jessup, and it was called Camp Jessup until 1927, so it was a little confusing. But they used German prisoners of war to build all of these new buildings. They unloaded concrete, they wheeled rocks, and they did pay them 25 cents a day to do so. The prisoners also maintained a vegetable garden at Fort McPherson that fed the base, and most of these men were mostly repatriated by the end of November 1919. Quick aside on that as well, so my friend Liz, who does Tomb of the View podcast, she had, I think it was an episode or two, about prisoners of war and where they were buried when they died in custody. Such a weird, fascinating part of history I never thought about. And so I think she talked actually about Georgia. Um, she definitely talked about um, Andersonville. So anyway, I'm going to link that in the show notes if you want to listen. In 1920, we got the National Defense Act, which organized the U.S. Army into three sections, which was like the regular, the National Guard, and the Reserves. In 1933, during the Great Depression and massive unemployment, 
President Roosevelt formed the Civilian Conservation Corps. And so it was this program that became the largest user of Fort McPherson, and this is from 1933 until 1942. During that period, the base, like I said, had already gone to from 140 acres to uh, 372 acres. And then in 1938, they got a recommendation to absorb the neighboring National Guard target range, which was 134 acres. So this, from what I read, is when they enclosed everything with the metal fence because there was now a gun range involved. In 1940, which is one year into World War II, a new hospital was built at Fort McPherson, as well as the Selective Service Act Reception Center. This is basically where newly drafted men were processed into the army. Uh, In that year, there was 286 white Georgians that were drafted, and then they were sent to three bases. But even if they went to other bases, they were all collectively sent to Fort McPherson to this reception center. There was 126 black men sworn in at Fort McPherson, but then they were sent to Fort Bragg. When Pearl Harbor was attacked in 1941, the base, quote unquote, came to life, you know, so to speak. Um, They were holding scrap metal drives. There was just a lot of activity going on because we are at the peak of World War II. By 1943, there were 50 new structures built. Um, There was one of the first schools for illiterate soldiers that started at Fort McPherson. There was also one of the first photography schools that graduated eight women in his class. And this was such a big deal that the graduation ceremonies were actually broadcasted via local Atlanta radio so that everybody could listen. When World War II ended, Fort McPherson was a separation center. This was a place where soldiers transitioned from military to civilian life. They had counseling services. They had, like, instructions. It was really fascinating. Um, And this was open from 1944 to 1946, so kind of coincides with the end of World War II. In 1947, the 7th Army returned from Europe, and they chose Fort McPherson as its base. There were a lot of buildings they could repurpose, but they also built 22 uh, brick houses for officers. Now, remember, I talk about this all the time, but there was a huge post-war housing shortage, so they needed to build these 22 homes because they couldn't exactly live in Atlanta. So after that, we have the Cold War, there's Korea there's Vietnam. Um, Fort McPherson had its own role in each of these wars and conflicts. It definitely declined after Vietnam. There was a general low morale. The army was considered weak. You know, it wasn't America's high point. Uh, They did use the base during the 1975 army bicentennial, but it was pretty quiet until 1982. And that year became an official army base once again, and it became more connected to the rest of Atlanta when the MARTA stop was built. In 1991, it became home to the Reserve Command. And then in 1996, it played a fairly prominent role in the Olympics. That was the first time in history that the Department of Defense provided support for the Olympic Games. So to signify this importance, they actually ran the Olympic flame through the post. In 2005, the government recommended closure of the base. Wasn't exactly shocking. They had actually dealt with this back in 1975, so they recommended closing it then, um, but local leaders were able to fight it. At that time, Fort McPherson was the city's seventh largest employer, so that closure was a really bad thing, and I think it was Maynard Jackson was mayor at the time, um, but they they were able to keep it open. But this 2005 recommendation, they just, they couldn't fight it. And so this McPherson Planning Local Redevelopment Authority was formed. It was an entity that was like authorized by the Department of Defense. 
they were tasked with developing a plan for the site and then they kind of officially purchased it for $30 million. There was this adaptive reuse plan approved in 2007 and the base officially closed on September 11th, 2011. In 2014, it was sold to Tyler Perry. I am not touching that with a 10-foot pole. So if you're in Atlanta today, that was a highly contested thing. People have lots of opinions about it. People still talk about it today. And uh, you know me, I'm, I'm just here to talk about the past. So I'm here to present you with the history. I have my own opinions about it. I mean, I think Atlanta loves selling public space to private individuals, which I don't think benefits anyone. So what I hate about Fort McPherson is I can't really go check it out. And you know, neither can you unless you're visiting Tyler Perry Studios, or I think if you're going to the bank that's in there. Um, and you can't see it from the road because it is walled off with a you know 10 foot high fence. So there you have it, the story of Fort McPherson. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes where you can support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.